From the University of Chicago, this is Big Brains with Paul M. Rand. Conversations with pioneering thinkers that will change the way you see the world. Michael Polsky is one of the world's leading entrepreneurs of renewable energy. He also happens to be an alumnus of the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. He began his career as a power plant engineer, but today he runs one of the largest independent energy companies in North America. And in addition to renewables, Michael's also investing in the next generation of leaders through the Polsky Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation here at the University of Chicago. I visited Michael at his offices in downtown Chicago to discuss his journey from the Soviet Ukraine to the United States, as well as his efforts to build the largest wind farm in the country and why, he says, it's not a question of if, but when we will become energy independent of fossil fuels. Today we have Michael Polsky with us, who is the founder and CEO of Invenergy, and he also happens to be a University of Chicago trustee. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things uh, that we try to do on Big Brains is have people to talk about the big insight or an invention or discovery, and it was a little more challenging with you because there's four areas that we could talk to you about that you're pretty compelling in. Number one, being an entrepreneur, a renewable energy pioneer, a philanthropist, and also kind of being a new venture guru. So I'm, I'm hoping we're going to squeeze all four of these things into the discussion here today. And so I wonder if we can just start by having you talk a little bit about your company and what you do. Right. In energy, we're an energy company. We are can describe ourselves as a company that develops, owns, operates various power generation facilities around United States and abroad as well. Well, you started off, if I can say, as a power plant engineer and start us off how you ended up coming to the United States. I came to the United States in 1976 as a refugee from the former Soviet Union, from Ukraine. And uh, I went to school in Ukraine to place called Kiev Polytechnic Institute, and I got their master's degree in mechanical engineering. So when I came here, I didn't speak any English, but I had master's degree, okay. which proved to be better than speaking language. And eventually, I ended up in Chicago working on design of various power plants. Okay. At that time, it was mostly coal plants mm-hmm. and, as well as cogeneration plants. And then in 1978, something pretty dramatic happened. Is that is that right? What interesting happened was that after oil embargo and United States and shortages of oil, in mid-70s, uh, the Carter administration changed the law or introduced promulgated new law called PURPA, Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act. And there was first of a kind of legislation around the world which allowed private companies to own power generating for certain kind of power generating facilities. Okay. So that law was historically utilities owned those plants, not really private companies, the utilities that had sort of monopolies for certain territories to to generate and distribute electricity the first time where private people can generate electricity so and and sell it to the grid so this law was challenged in number of courts and then finally in 1982 
it was affirmed by the United States Supreme Court. And that's really was the beginning of sort of, as we call it, independent power industry. So, so I wonder, Michael, if you can talk a little bit about what business your first two companies were actually involved in. So the first company that uh, I co-founded, we were uh, developing, building, operating, we call cogeneration power plants. Okay. Those are power plants that produce electricity, you know, to that we supply into the grid and plus steam. And normally steam would, would be going to the industrial use. So this plant with the dual use, that's both steam and electricity. The second company that I founded, uh, we were doing also cogeneration power plants. Plus, at that time, we started also building regular power plants, just power plants that produce only electricity, either for base load or peaking plant, we call okay. it, that produce electricity only during the period of high use. And so at some point, did you see yourself as a green entrepreneur and you thought, well, I'm going to, when this, when the renewable thing came, that that was either this hit a passion for you or did you just think this is just good business? Yeah, we actually, I, everything started, again, from a little different direction. It's more, again, we had a massive overbuild in 19, late 1990s, early 2000s. So when I started in 2001 in energy, clearly the need for conventional power plants so, you know, was not there. Right. So we started thinking, really, if we want to continue to be a developers, building something new, what that would something new be like? And, um, uh, you know, we, we had a good relationship with a company named General Electric. And General Electric at that time bought a wind company from Enron when Enron collapsed. And um, we thought, oh, you know, maybe we should start looking at renewable energy, particularly wind at the time. Because remember, it happened it was September 11th. So right, people start right. thinking about other options that they might have to generate electricity. The natural price, gas prices start going up. Obviously, people start talking about national security. People start raising more environmental issues, particularly with coal. And um, when we look at wind, we thought, you know, a lot of these issues that people are raising, we can address with wind. So it seems to be it's just a good business proposition. Okay you know, to move into into wind. And and so if you think about where we are as a nation and as a world when it comes to renewable energy, where are we in the life cycle? We got into renewable really in earnest in 2003. Okay. I thought we were too late. Okay. <laughs> you know, I thought there were already people build projects and and maybe we just, nobody realized the, the, the really potential of this. Okay. Everybody look at this at the time. It's kind of a niche industry. It may be a few of these builds, but nobody kind of understood the magnitude. But very quickly, I realized, at least in my mind, the magnitude, because I saw, not as an environmentalist necessarily, as a, as a person who understands technology, the potential, okay? In, environmental is more sort of one of those issues that, that help but not necessarily controlling issue, okay? okay. I, I So, oh, gee, there is a lot of opportunity here. There is a lot of room to grow. So from very early on, I start saying, this is just the beginning. So now we're sitting here in uh, 2018 with 10 times as much renew a wind that we had before when I started. And uh, 
you know, tremendous amount of solar that did not even exist at the time. And I still believe that in the United States, we, we still, I can't say with the very beginning, but we probably only in the third inning of the game. It grabbed something in the human imagination whenever whoever told the first story told it. Yet this is what writing is, a leaving behind. I love the seminary go up. Let me say how happy I am to be here among my people in the temple of the book. Insightful, observant, and recorded live at Chicago's world-renowned seminary co-op bookstores, OpenStax brings you conversations with scholars, poets, activists, and more on subjects as eclectic as the books on our shelves, plus the latest in scholarly publishing and books of endurance with views from the co-op's venerable front table. Join the conversation at semcoop.com or wherever you download podcasts. OpenStax. Stay tuned. Stay curious. You gave the convocation address at the Booth School of Business back, what, two years ago? Yes. I, I have to tell you, it, it is in, uh, one of the most thoughtful, moving convocations I think I've read. It was inspiring. Um, Thank you. And, and uh, the, the thought that went into it, the lessons that came out of it of entrepreneurship, of perseverance, of ingenuity, um, came to life in an incredibly personal way. How did you get involved with the University of Chicago and and talk a little bit about what your role is there today? So I, uh, as we discussed before, I moved to Chicago in 1980. And remember, I was an engineer with a degree from, from Kiev Polytechnic Institute, which was very unknown in this country. And, um, you know, I also did not have uh, coming from... Um, from Soviet Union, I didn't have a lot of knowledge in economics and in uh, sort of in business side of of business. Okay, you know, I was a very technical guy, <clears throat> so I always thought, you know, it would be nice to go to a good business school. Mm-hmm. So now we're in Chicago, and you think about Booth. Now it was GSB we, at the time, right? It, there was a GSB, so I I took my GMAT. It was still, it was pretty good math part. The quantitative part, but it was very, still very low verbal part. But my math was good. They took me in without even an interview. So I was very pleased with that. And then you also um, made a, a pretty big commitment to the university. And I think as we're here and this, uh, we're, we're talking about this during the kickoff of something we're call, is called Innovation Fest, but you have a lot behind all of this. And I wonder if you can talk about what you decided to do there and why you did it. So I was one of the early entrepreneurs when entrepreneurship was not as uh, as popular, I would say, as, as it today in 85, you know, where very few and far in between. And I, I also operated in, in suburbs of Chicago, so I was not really connected much to the community. And, and uh, I, I always felt like um, being entrepreneur is sort of, being different. Nobody sort of paid attention to you, you know, to recognize you kind of operate this in your in your own world. And I kind of feel in some way, I feel sort of I don't belong anywhere. Neither I belong to traditional business community. There was no really other business, new business community. So I was sort of kind of circulating on my own. 
And then um, as as I sort of more or less succeeded um, financially and professionally, um, in, in uh, particularly after I sold my second company, I always felt that, you know, that's something that has to be more recognized and more visible. People that really go and start their own companies. And remember, there was also, uh, at that time, the IT business, internet started booming. And, right. And in the 90s, and people started start new companies. But, but I also felt that, you know, in the area of, it's not just IT, but there are other businesses that people start as well. After that, I called University of Chicago and I said, I, I really would like to contribute something back to you because I felt like, you know, I've succeeded and, you know, it also, university, you know, part of my success belonged to the university as well. And then new dean came in, Dean Snyder, and I think in early 2002, he came to my office with some sort of a slide presentation on paper. And uh, I saw on the front page, Center for Entrepreneurship. I was so excited, not only with this, but that major school like this start recognizing entrepreneurship as something that they want to they wanna teach or they want to be part of the school. And to me, it was like a revelation. Oh, wow, I've been saying, preaching for this for years and years and years and years, and finally it's happening. I right. was like ecstatic. You know, it's interesting. We, to get ready for Innovation Fest, did a survey, and we found that um, over 70% of all Americans don't think that the United States is doing enough in innovation, but they actually are looking toward universities to be a major driver of innovation and growth. So the thinking that you had and the point of paying attention to it in the way you did seems to be incredibly on target. I always believe that institution, educational institution, really form people, form their minds, and, and really help people to decide what they're going to do next. Right. A lot of people used to go to business school without really knowing, understanding what they want to do. They want to change career. They, some of them maybe didn't like what they were doing at the time. Some of them simply just look for, for new things, or some maybe want to continue the way it was. But they were introduced to other areas, but nobody really was introduced to entrepreneurship, innovation, in the sense that there is other way to do things. Not, not just necessarily related to a particular technical area or some other area of, uh, of employment, but, but just the way to do things, just the way to think, the way to operate, and the way maybe control your own destiny in the future. And... I'm I'm so happy that that finally it's really taken a lot of traction now and and I and I feel that it's absolutely essential for every or most educational institution including the University of Chicago to have that area in order to be essential and give young people what they really want to do opportunity to what they want to do in the future. You know, as some of those folks are coming in, the new venture challenges coming in and other things, one of the questions that students right now that are in school or graduating, if they're engineering-minded or scientists, are probably saying, well, what's next? If if I was going to get started 
doing something entrepreneurial today and making a difference, where, where should I put my energy? If you were providing advice to those folks, where would you guide them? I don't know if I, you know, qualify, give sort of brush, broad brush advice, what, what to do. But my, my view is just to keep your eyes open and look for things and look for opportunities and, and to be entrepreneur and innovator is not necessarily invent something new that did not exist before. It's sometimes just to do things better than other people already doing things. And, and it, it could be a small change. It doesn't necessarily, not everybody would invest in, invent another Facebook because there is a lot of, there are a lot of inefficiencies out there. There in a lot of companies and corporations, they do things sort of the way they used to do. I think there are so many opportunities there. I was sort of, I always tell people I was lucky. Maybe I was at the right place at the right time when kind of a brand new area of business have been, have been, have started. Okay. Uh, but, but nevertheless, there are, there are many, many opportunities right now. And I, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I've invested a number of other things that other people are doing very, very interesting things. Mm -hmm. And and not everything is revolutionary. Right. You know, it's fine if business just a pivot of something existing to something else. The vast majority of folks I worked with in the jail needed something else than incarceration. How can we ask parents or caregivers to do the hard work of taking care of a sick child, which is the scariest thing in the world, while starving? Then you really have a way of having science and policy come together in a way that really speaks to the magic of cities. From the University of Chicago, this is Knowledge Applied, a new podcast where we'll go inside the research, reshaping everyday life. In our first season, meet the experts who are digging into some of the toughest questions facing cities today. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And now you've got, if I understand it right, you're building the second largest wind farm in the world. That's what uh, we believe. It's uh, largest in the United States. Okay. And, and probably second largest in the world after China. And where are you building this? In Oklahoma. What can you tell us about that? So this would be a very massive wind farm. It will be have a capacity over 2,000 megawatts, which is roughly two nuclear power plants. And so the equivalent of two power plants, how much actually energy is that and what can you do with it? So just put in more conventional uh, terminology here, the electricity produced by this wind farm would be sufficient to power 1.1 million households. So it's, uh, it's a lot of electricity. A lot of electricity. It, it will cover about 200,000 acres of land. But, you know, turbines will be covering relatively small portion, but it's going to be spread around. So... It's going to be around 800 wind turbines on 200,000 acres and, like I said, generate massive amount of electricity. And how did you decide on Oklahoma to place this? Because, you know, you when you build wind farms, you go where the wind is. Okay. Because if, if it costs you the same build, the same amount of money to build wind farm, whether it's windy or not windy. Okay. And if you already spend money building a plant, and if it's windy area, you generate much more electricity. So by definition, cost is going down because you utilize your plant much more in a windy area compared to other areas. So, 
So it's very natural. It's in the wind tunnel of the United States, sort of speaking. And it's an area that is uh, fairly scarce populated. So you're really not encroaching people's houses and affect their life and so on. So it's it just a place, again, it's one of those things that make sense. And when do you expect the, uh, the operation to be up and running? We expect by the end of 2020. Okay. And so when, when you think about it now, and, and, and for the listeners that we have, how, how do you think about the, the size of the renewable energy market today, where you think it'll be in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Okay. And maybe, you know, I don't want to sound sort of opinionated here or, or partisan in any way, uh, but I really believe as an engineer, as a technical guy, as a person who's been in the energy field for almost 40 years, as somebody who's in the ground all the time, I really believe that the future of this country and around the world is a renewable energy. Okay. It's a question is when we're going to get there. It's not a question whether we're going to get there. We will get there. Okay. So I believe that for many reasons that you know, I can go through, we just don't have the time. Renewable energy make a lot of sense. And that's why it would prevail. And that's why the we'll, world would see a lot more renewables than it's now, because it makes a lot of sense. Okay. It's not only for environmental reason. It's not for right or left reasons. It's because it makes sense reasons. So I really believe that eventually, and it's a question of when, this country will be always 100% renewable energy. It may take half a century, but we'll be We'll get there. there. So do you use this word earlier? Do you see yourself at this stage as an environmentalist? Even if renewable energy will bring zero environmental benefit, assuming, yes, it we will still be there because I, it makes sense for many other reasons. Mm -hmm. Environmental is just one of the reasons. It's not the only reason. Right. But it's important to you. It's become important to you, I imagine. I think important to me because I believe we're doing the right thing. Uh -huh. It's not important to me for ideological reason. It's important for me for technical reason. I mean, just same people in high tech. You, you, you do three G phones and then four G and the five G is not. You're not changing this because for right or left reason because it it provides better value. It's better for consumer. It's better for the user. I think same with renewable. It's just it's just a better way to generate electricity. Thank you for the insights and uh, all the ideas and for being a guest on Big Brains with us. Thank you for inviting me. Big Brains is a production of the UChicago Podcast Network. To learn more, visit us at news.uchicago.edu and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you liked Big Brains, you might enjoy another UChicago podcast, Knowledge Applied, taking you inside the research, reshaping everyday life. Thanks for listening.